Thank you for listening to this production from New Life Presbyterian Church. If you'd like to find out more, visit newlifepca.org. One of my favorite movies is The Lord of the Rings. Uh, how many of you have seen The Lord of the Rings? Almost everyone. Awesome. So if you haven't seen The Lord of the Rings, really brief synopsis of The Lord of the Rings is uh, that there is a, um, a, a need to uh, destroy this one ring. There's, a, there's an evil presence that has concentrated itself into a, a ring of power. And the ring of power must be destroyed. And they select a pretty unlikely group of uh, heroes to destroy this ring of power. They're, they're uh, various group of folks, but uh, the ones that will carry the ring are hobbits. Hobbits are about my height, um, and so they're not, they're not uh, the ones that you would choose to lead an army into uh, the depths of Mount Doom. Um, and so... They're, they're kind of, they're just a very unlikely group of heroes. Well, one of my favorite scenes comes at the end of the last movie, The Return of the King. And there here uh, is a picture of this scene, and Frodo is the one uh, laying down, and he's the one carrying the ring, and Sam, his companion, is comforting him. And they are, at the end, almost ready to throw this ring into the volcano to destroy it. It's an incredibly difficult task, and they can't go any further. And Frodo falls to the ground, and he can't move any further. And Sam picks him up, holds him close, and he says, Do you remember the Shire, Mr. Frodo? It will be spring soon. Orchards will be in blossom. The birds will be nesting in the hazel thickets. And they will be sowing the summer barley in the lower fields, eating the first of the strawberries and cream. Remember the taste of strawberries. Frodo goes on to explain how he, he can't, taste anything anymore. He doesn't remember anything anymore other than darkness. He's overcome. But this picture of the place that they're longing to return to, even though they have only the slightest hope of returning there, this picture gives Sam new courage. And he says, I can't carry the ring for you, but I can carry you. And he picks Frodo up and travel up the mountain together. Just thinking of this place that they're longing for makes them able to endure the worst suffering, the completion of their mission. Friends, God has given us a mission, the church. And if we choose to follow him in this mission, it will be costly and it will require suffering. How will we endure this mission? We will endure only as long as we seek coming city. As long as we remember where we're going and long for it empowered to endure the suffering that it takes to get there. Today we're going to look at the book of Hebrews, uh, Hebrews chapter 13, verses 12 through 14, to learn more about this. Uh, and if you don't have a Bible, there's one in the seat in front of you. It looks like this, uh, and it's on page 586, uh, and also I believe it's on there, yeah. Um, so uh, please stand as, uh, out of reverence for God's word as we read Hebrews 13. 12 through 14. Jesus also suffered outside the gate in order to sanctify the people through his own blood. Therefore, let us go to him outside the camp and bear the reproach he endured. Here we have no lasting city. Seek the city that is to come. Pray with me. Father God, we come to you now wanting to hear from you. Lord, we believe, we trust that you speak through your word and impart 
these truths to our hearts by your spirit. So spirit, would you do that now? If there's anything that I say that is untrue or, or not helpful, God, would you remove it? Would you speak? We want to hear you gather together. Lord, would you comfort those that need to be comforted, challenge those that need to be challenged, and God, would all of this bring much glory and honor to your Son, Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen. Be seated. The author to the book of Hebrews is actually unknown. We don't, we don't know who wrote this book, but it's written to a group of Christians in the early church who came from a Jewish background. That's why it's called Hebrews. And these Christians were being tempted to turn away from Jesus because of the implications that following Jesus meant for their lives. They were facing difficult circumstances. And throughout the book, the author is encouraging them to stay with Jesus, to endure because he is worth it. Here we get the crescendo of these encouragements. Begins this encouragement actually with a a, a pretty radical and crazy command. Therefore, let us go to him outside the camp and bear the reproach he endured. The reproach he endured. What exactly does this mean? Well, outside the camp, the reference to the suffering of Jesus. Suffering death of Jesus on the cross. You see, Jesus died outside of the city gate of Jerusalem. And that happened for a number of reasons, right? The, the crucifixion of Jesus, crucifixion was, was reserved for only the, the greatest of criminals. So anything that was sinful had to be removed outside of the camp. We see this throughout God's law, actually, that the, sin, the, the sinful person had to re- be removed outside of the camp to keep God's people holy. And so if the Jews were to crucify someone, that person had to be crucified outside the camp. Because this is a person who had been cursed by God. This is a person who was a sinner, had to be crucified outside the camp. Now we know that Jesus was not a sinner. Jesus obeyed the Father fully. The Bible says that Jesus knew no sin, that he had never committed sin. But God was doing something and proclaiming something very profound in Jesus' suffering outside the camp. You see, Jesus did a great many things as we were talking with the children this morning. Jesus healed people. Jesus taught people. But Jesus came for one purpose, primarily. was to die. The Gospels say that Jesus set his face towards Jerusalem, knowing that he was going to die there, but he set his face there anyway because his purpose in coming was to die. And to die a death Not for his own sin, your sin and my sin. See, Jesus, the Bible says that God, uh, in 2 Corinthians 5, says that he who knew no sin came sin us, so that we might become the righteousness of God. You see, God placed our sin upon Jesus. And he bore the wrath of God against that sin, our place. And he had to do that outside the camp because he was bearing wrath against our sin. He did this, our text says, verse 12, Jesus suffered outside the gate in order to sanctify the people through his own blood. In order to sanctify the people through his own blood. Jesus suffered outside the gate so that we could be welcomed into God. Jesus suffered 
so that our sins could be paid for, so that we could be purified before God, sanctified before God because of Jesus' blood. If you're here this morning, you're not trusting in Jesus, must know God will hold you accountable for your rebellion against Him. In the ways in which you have harmed others with your words, your thoughts, and your actions. God will hold you accountable. And the only solution is Jesus' blood on your behalf. Jesus suffered outside the gate in order that you would be sanctified and made holy. So I urge you, if you don't know Jesus this, this, this morning, if you're not trusting in Him and Him alone, turn from your sin. Trust this Jesus who has offered to sanctify you His blood. So this is what Jesus' suffering has done. Jesus' suffering outside the camp has caused our salvation. But the author of Hebrews says, therefore let us go to him outside the camp. But what does that mean? What does that mean? Because our suffering does not cause anyone's salvation, right? I mean, Jesus has already done that. Jesus has already accomplished salvation for his people. But how is that salvation given to his people today? It's given by the message of the gospel going forth through God's people. God has always used means to make his kingdom build, uh, uh, to build his kingdom, right? And the means by which he builds his kingdom is people taking the message of the gospel to others. So our suffering in the midst of taking the message of the gospel to others does not bring anyone's salvation. So saying joining Jesus outside the camp is not saying join Jesus outside the camp to suffer in order to save others. But join Jesus outside the camp, join him on his mission, as you bring the message of his love to those who are lost. Our suffering in mission point to the suffering of Jesus for salvation. This is what he's calling us to. This is what Jesus himself says in Mark 8. If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross, follow me. You know, I think sometimes this passage loses a little bit of its sting for us. Because we look at the cross, when we see a cross like this, we see hope, we see love, we see peace. In this day, when Jesus said this, he's saying, pick up your executionary chair, pick up your instrument of torture, and follow me. Come with me in the way of death. Deny yourself. Come with me in the way of death. It's, it's a much more radical call. Join Jesus in suffering. See others to know Jesus. Salvation he offers through his suffering. What exactly would that mean for us? What does it mean for us to go to Jesus outside the camp? Well, one thing it might mean is a big life decision. It might mean a really big decision where you give up everything for Jesus. Going to the other sides of the, side of the earth Share Jesus with others. Changing your career in order to pursue life of giving the gospel to other people full-time in missionary work or as a pastor, planting a church. It may mean those big decisions. And God may be calling you to those things here this morning. Are you willing to go wherever he calls? To give whatever he tells you? To say whatever he tells you? And to do whatever he tells you? Willing to do that? If you're willing to do that, it might play out in big decisions. 
Where that really comes out is everyday decisions. I think some, one of the ways in which we've missed out on living this kind of radical faith is we think it only deals with major decisions. So if I'm not called to be a missionary on the other side of the world or called to be a pastor or a church planter, I guess I'm just called to be an ordinary Christian. Friends, the message of the gospel has always advanced. Ordinary Christians are empowered by the gospel to live extraordinary lives, racing risky suffering in the everyday things of life to bring the message of Jesus to those who are far from God. Very often, as our uh, launch team, our core team, has gotten together, we've talked about the church in Antioch. It's one of my favorite New Testament churches in the book of Acts. Church in Antioch is the church that sends Paul on all his missionary journeys. It's an incredibly powerful, incredibly diverse church in the New Testament. Do you know who started the church in Antioch? The book of Acts tells us that some men went to Antioch and preached the gospel on their way. One of the most powerful New Testament churches was planted by nobodies. Ordinary Christians whose names aren't even recorded in the scriptures. Friends, know that we would long just be a footnote in history that says... Some people suffered well to bring the gospel to lost souls. Ordinary folks living extraordinary lives, embracing risky suffering in their everyday decisions, bring the message of Jesus to those who have never heard. It means willingly embracing suffering on the mission to seek and save the lost. It means sacrificing our time, our money, our skills, kingdom. It means serving the church, radically loving our neighbors, even when our neighbors are hard to love. It means living in such a radically different way from the world that if this whole Jesus thing was wrong, look like fools. Piper in his book, Desiring God, says, How many Christians are there who could say the suffering I have freely chosen to embrace for Christ would be a pitiable life if there is no resurrection? imagine for a moment that you live right next door to a non-Christian. Actually, we probably don't have to imagine this. Given the, the statistics of folks in our community, in our city, in our county that follow Jesus, you probably live next to a non-Christian. And let's imagine for a moment that we were able to kind of follow the two of you, not in a sort of creepy way, but like just follow you and your life and their life for a week, maybe a month. What would be the differences between you and that person? Now, maybe, maybe you'd go to church and they wouldn't. Maybe you'd watch better movies than they did. Maybe you'd Christian bumper sticker on your car or listen to Christian radio or post Christian things on social media. Would there be something so radically different about the way that you live your life, the way you spend your time, your money, your energy, the way you radically love your neighbor and sacrifice for the kingdom, there would be something so radically different that someone looking at the two of your lives would say, there's something weird about that person. They must be hoping in something totally different because they live their life in such a strange way. What are they hoping in? That's a scary thought for me. Would, would my life look any different? I don't know. Well, well that, that idea of living in this sort of radical way, embracing the hard things, Radically sacrificing so that I can love my neighbor and share the gospel and do all of these things. That seems really hard. It seems like going up Mount Doom. I've got my own baggage. I've got my own sin struggles. I'm not sure I can make it. And 
why would I want to do that anyway? Why would anyone do this, going outside the camp? Our passage tells us, let us, therefore, let us go to him outside the camp and bear the reproach he endured for that indication of purpose. Why would you do this? For here we have no lasting city, but we seek city to come. Friends, before we talk about this for question, we need to talk about why you wouldn't do this. The passage does not tell us that we go outside the camp to suffer, to earn God's love. So as we've already said, the passage has already said, God has done everything for us to sanctify us, to make us holy and righteous before him. He's already accomplished everything in Jesus on the cross so that we can be loved by God, accepted. Don't do this because we have some martyr complex that we just really like suffering. We're a whole bunch of masochists that like pain and suffering. It's not why we do this either. There's nothing inherently good about suffering, difficult things. Do this, text gives us two reasons. For here we have no lasting city, we seek the city that is to come. Here we have no lasting city. Friends, that represents this present age. Hebrews talks about here we have no lasting city. He's meaning this age in which we live will end. The New Testament tells us that that the future age, the coming age, has broken into the present in Jesus. Eternal life has started in Jesus. That this age is coming to an end. There's an overlap between the future age, which has already started in Jesus, and this present age, which is coming to an end. Here, he says, that this place will not last. Its security is fleeting. Its pleasure is fleeting. Its promises do not last. Friends, this letter was written, most scholars believe that this letter was written to Christians in Rome, which was known the eternal city. The of Hebrews is taking straight aim at that claim and saying, Christians in Rome, this is no lasting city. It will not last. Put your hope in it. Friends, this is a good word for us. Just a few days off a of presidential election. And whether you wanted America to be stronger together or great again, or something completely different, you need to hear this. You need to know, like really know, that this city will not last. Will not last. Your allegiance to Christ is higher than your allegiance to country. Friends, we must not trust that our security comes from having the right people in office. So if you are overly dismayed at the results, know that this is not your lasting city. That's not to minimize real concerns that a lot of people have about living in this time under this government. Those are real, and they should be talked about, and, and, and those, are, those are good things to, to wrestle through. That's not to minimize that, but you've got to know that this city will not last. And friends, if you're overly rejoicing and relieved, thinking that finally God is going to bring moral stability to our nation, that our rights will be protected because of a position of power, You've got to know, really know, this is not your lasting city. will not last. And your highest priority is to trust Jesus and then embrace radical suffering going outside the camp, outside what is comfortable, living and serving your neighbor. That's the kingdom is advanced. So no matter what your vote was, the mission of God has not changed. 
our circumstances have changed, and time will tell what the implications of that will be for the church. But in the meantime, let's show the world the kingdom by willingly embracing the cross in our radical and costly love neighbor. Trust Jesus. Well, if I can be totally honest, I don't always live like this is not my lasting city. I don't know about you, but I am challenged greatly by this. Schedule my comfort, my money, my rights, my way, not God's way, often prevails in my life. And two areas in which this comes out very prominently for me in my heart are time and money. Time, we just moved downtown and, uh, uh, t- for this church plant, and my job is to love my neighbor. Like, that's my full-time job right now is to love my neighbor, share the gospel. It's actually really hard uh, to do that because I feel super busy. I've got to finish seminary stuff, and I've got, uh, you know, meetings with people and all of these things, and three kids that are probably destroying the house while I'm uh, outside. I I work a lot on our front porch so I can meet people, and and my lawn looks terrible, and I haven't mowed it in a while, and it's it's like this disaster. And then my neighbor will come, and, and we'll talk. At that moment, I've got to decide, I'm going to sacrifice something to have this conversation. Because I have to make a sacrifice. I only have so much time in the day. This conversation isn't necessarily about the gospel right now. If I don't care about his life, stuff that's going on in his life, I'm probably not going to get to share the gospel with him, ever. I've got to take a moment to say, no, this isn't an interruption. This is an opportunity in the kingdom. That means I'm going to have to sacrifice probably my recreational time to get my other responsibilities done. And that's a tension for me. And I don't always make the right choice. Money is another thing that tugs at my heart in this way. Uh, Recently, our kids were all at a birthday party, uh, but I had Amelia, our daughter. And if you know my kids, uh, Amelia is the easy one, so I was really delighted. And uh, so... (laughs) We, I took Amelia, and we were like, we had some time, so we got some lunch, and then I, I said, let's, let's just walk through Best Buy. This will be fun. And so we're walking through Best Buy. She's asleep on my chest. I'm holding her, and uh, we're walking through Best Buy. I felt this real move of my heart to want this stuff. I really like gadgets. I'm preaching from my iPad this morning. I really like gadgets, and I just caught myself dreaming, if I only had $10,000 to blow on this, just only $10,000, I'm not asking for everything, Lord, but if I could just blow it on all of this stuff, I left Best Buy feeling this, like, incredible conviction of the Spirit, say, this place does not last. If you make choices in this way, you can't do other things for the kingdom. I was incredibly challenged because I thought my joy and satisfaction came from these things. It tells us two things. The city does not last, but we seek that is to come. Friends, this here is Sam's speech to Frodo. Seek a better city. Now, when I, growing up, I thought of heaven uh, kind of like our culture talks about heaven, where like we all, you know, float around on clouds and we get harps and we're like little angels. And that sounded super boring to me. So I was like, that doesn't sound all that great. I don't want that. Um, but, but the Bible just doesn't say that. The Bible describes this incredible reality of a physical new heavens, new earth, a place with no sin. All the joys of this life, we get fleeting pictures of it in moments where everything is right in the world and we just want it to never end. All of that for all eternity. This city that's coming. Revelation 21, 1 through 4 says this, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. 
And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people. And God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. This place is going to be amazing. Amazing. Those people using their energy work in God's kingdom without sin hindering. Now my, my job as pastor church planner will be obsolete at this point. So I'm planning on going back to my training in architecture and designing things with no sin in the world. That's going to be awesome going to be incredible. There are going to be incredible joys about this place. But here we get the beauty spot right here. Greatest blessing of this place is not the physical reality with no sin and, and incredible joys and who knows what technology and buildings will look like and all of these crazy things that are going to be so incredibly awesome. Beauty is we get Jesus. God will dwell with his people with no barrier between them. This has been the hope of the entire Bible. That God would dwell with his people as their God and they would be with him, their people, his people. We get Jesus himself. Jesus who flung the stars into the universe and knows them by name. The God of the universe dwell with us. Walk among us. Receive worship from us will wipe away every tear from our eyes. I take that to mean that he's going to physically wipe away, intimately, every tear from your eyes. Pain, no dying, no mourning. Jesus for us. This is the greatest blessing. And this is why we experience these things. This is actually what he calls us to in this, right? He says, therefore, let us go to him outside the camp. If you want to experience a close walk with Jesus now by his spirit, join him on his mission to seek and save the lost because that's where he is. Notice the author doesn't say, go into where it's comfortable and hide with Jesus. He says, go outside the camp because that's where Jesus is. If you want to experience Jesus today, embrace his mission, suffer alongside him. Seeking and saving the lost. And that's why we do this, friends. Because we want Jesus. And the way of Jesus is not the glory of a safe, comfortable, easy life. Suffering way of the cross or the crowning glory of the coming city. You could live your whole life embracing the American dream with a little Christianity sprinkled in. A successful, comfortable life with nothing risky. Friends, there is something far better for you. Far better. The way of Jesus, which calls us to sacrifice and give of ourselves, promises the glory of the city that is to come with Jesus himself as our God. This passage could really be summarized by this quote by Tim Keller. By his grace, Jesus lost the city that was, so that we could become citizens of the city that is to come, making us salt and light, the city that is. So I want to give you, I'm going to leave you with three practical things, three practical steps to be salt and light in the city that is. It's the things we talked about earlier. Sacrificing our time, our money, and our skills. Kingdom of God. Time. Can you free up schedule, your schedule to allow for more margin? Can you do things with non-Christians in 
order to build relationships with them to share the gospel. Think about where you live, where you work, and where you play. What are the rhythms of your life and how do you involve non-Christians in those rhythms to build relationships with them? So I want all of you to think about one person, either where you live, where you work, or where you play. It's not a Christian that doesn't know the message, the saving message of Jesus. Just think about that one person. This week I want you to pray for opportunities. Involve them in your life. To sacrifice your time to love them. God will grant you an opportunity to share the gospel with them. Time. There are so many things that our community and our city needs. Kids that need foster parents. Adults that need help learning how to read. People that need job training. Youth that need a role model. Friends, you can sacrifice your time for these. Extend the love of Jesus. will be a sacrifice of time. It's worth it. Because this is not our lasting city. Seek the city that is to come. Money. We are by any stretch the wealthiest people in the history of the world. Now you may not feel that way. I don't feel that way always. That's true. We're the wealthiest people in the history of the world. Your budget reflect the priorities of the kingdom. Are you embracing, freely, willingly embracing any hardship in your budget because of your giving? Like are there things that you want to do that are reasonable, not sinful, reasonable things that people with similar incomes as you can do, that you choose not to do, you can sacrifice the building of the kingdom. That's willingly going outside the camp to embrace the message of Jesus, to suffer in, his play, uh, suffer in taking the message of the gospel. I promise that you will not miss that money. Now when my heart is drawn towards spending things at Best Buy, I don't need guilt. But I need to think of the coming city. Think of people will be there. God used me in sacrificing my money to take the gospel to them. That's what I need. That's what enlivens my heart to give. Skills. What has God gifted you to do? What are you good at? You use those skills for others in serving the church and serving our city, community. I want to offer an encouragement to you as as a church. Very many ways you are doing this as a church. Planting a church that's hard, right? We're planting a daughter church. I don't know about you, but I've watched, you know, birthing. That's hard. That's not fun. I've ha- we have kids, like mother, daughter, we use that analogy for a reason. Mother sacrifices for the sake of the daughter. And you all are doing that. And we eternally grateful. The city of Muncie will be eternally grateful. We see men and women come to know Jesus because of your sacrifice. But friends, new life is going to need of you continually in all in for the kingdom living that out consistently sharing jesus with others and willingly embracing that's the suffering that comes with loving the lost living kingdom values for new life to continue to be a beacon of hope for this community and the world all need to embrace the mission of god in our lives and friends let us do all of these things as we wait with eager expectation for the city that is coming promised land which we are bound pray with me father god we come to you now knowing that we need your help we need your spirit to live out this mission we need you powerfully work in us by your spirit so that you would gain all the glory and honor as your kingdom advances and that we would experience the sweetness of walking with suffering with jesus eating this glorious return lord would you do this we pray in his name amen